from chapter 2 and we shall be reading the entire chapter, Acts chapter 2 and from the first verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exalt them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen.
There are milestones in all of our lives that permanently change our lives. The first is obviously birth. The second, for those of us who know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, is our rebirth. That when we turned from our sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that was no mere decision. And that was no mere addition to our lives. That was regeneration. That was resurrection from spiritual death. And then there's the milestone of meeting a spouse. About 13 years ago now in the summer, I got an email from another student at West, the Wales Evangelical School of Theology, and he said, Hugh, I know this is very last minute, but next week I'm going to be at Forum, the UCCF Conference for Christian Union Leaders, and I'm going to be there on the West exhibit stand speaking with future or prospective students. Uh, Would you like to come and speak to them with me? And back then I had nothing but time, so I said, yeah, I'd love to. And one night, a girl on another exposition uh, exposition stand came up to me, and her name was Gloria, and for her, it was love at first sight. Only joking. There's the... It it wasn't really, but I'll tell you the real story afterwards if you want. But, But there's the milestone of becoming a parent, and there's the final milestone where each of us have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And just as there are milestones in all of our lives, there are milestones as well for the world and for history, for world history. First milestone, creation. Second milestone, the fall, where man turned his back on his creator God. Third milestone, redemption where God intervened in the person of Jesus Christ. And then finally, consummation, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on all those who do not know God and on those who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And until we understand how our lives fit into the big picture of world history, we will not understand what our lives are for in the present. And so if we believe that we are going nowhere and that there is nothing but matter and motion before us and nothing at all, then we might conclude that our lives are just to be about having a a good time eating and drinking and being merry, accumulating for ourselves as much as we can, making a name for ourselves, caring for our families. But if we believe that we are living between the third and the final milestone of world history, then that has to change everything in our lives in the present moment. If we believe we're living in between redemption and the consummation of the world, that will change everything about the way we view our lives in the here and now. Everything about the way it will change our purpose in lives. That that we cannot be those who are just out for ourselves, but instead committed to calling as many people as possible, 
to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the next date on heaven's calendar is the return of Jesus Christ. The consummation of the ages and the very close of world history. Now as we continue our study in the book of Acts this morning, we are going to see the final act of redemption. The final act of the close of the third milestone of history as the Holy Spirit is poured out and as the church is launched into her mission of making disciples of all nations in view of the final milestone that will one day come to pass. And do let me just say, friends, that is where we live today. We live in the inertia of Acts chapter 2, being thrown out onto the mission that the close of the third milestone gave to us in view of the coming and closing and final milestone of history. If you're here today and perhaps you are a, a comfortable Christian, there's no crisis in your life, you're loved by your family, you have enough money in the bank to see you through for the end of the month or even to the end of your life, and yet you find yourself feeling unfulfilled. You find yourself just floundering from one experience, bouncing to the next experience after the other. Allow me to say that there is an infinitely profound vastly meaningful and glorious purpose for your life. God has a mandate for you. And God has a mission for me. And God has a calling for us as a church in view of the final milestone of history. This morning we're going to see that God has vindicated Jesus by his spirit We're going to see the close of the third milestone, and as we do, the implications for our lives in the present will be made crystal clear in view of the closing and final milestone that is to come. We're going to see this morning, number one, the Spirit's outpouring, number two, the Apostles' proclamation, and then lastly, the needed response. So number one, the Spirit's outpouring. Now, when Peter read in verse one earlier, when the day of Pentecost arrived, it might be that Luke mentions Pentecost there simply to root his narrative in history. As though what he's saying to us is, what I'm about to tell you all took place on the day of Pentecost. But when you dig into the day of Pentecost, that seems unlikely. See, the first Pentecost took place 50 days after Passover. You remember the first Passover, Moses told the Israelites to take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, take the blood of the lamb and dab it on the doorposts of their home so that when the angel of death descended on Egypt, they would be safe and they would be liberated and freed from slavery. Well, 50 days after the first Passover, the Israelites found themselves at the base of Mount Sinai. And God descended on Mount Sinai in fire and delivered the law. And from then on, the Jews remembered that night at Sinai with the feast of first fruits, where they would offer to, offer to God the first of their crops. It was a way of worshiping God, but it was also a statement of trust. It was also a way for them to say, the God who redeemed us will be the God 
to provide for us. Well, here in Acts chapter 2, exactly 50 days after the death of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God was descending again. Only this time, God wasn't descending with the law, but with the Spirit. And just as he descended in the person of the Holy Spirit, he would give his people everything they needed to reap a spiritual harvest all around the world. The God who had saved them in Jesus Christ would be the God to provide for them in the Holy Spirit as they sought to be Jesus' witnesses all around the world. The Holy Spirit descended in Acts chapter 2 to equip, to anoint, to empower the 120 to do what Jesus had commanded them to do, to be who Jesus had commanded them to be, and to say what Jesus had called them to say, to to be his witnesses to the world, and to fulfill the promise that we thought about to Abram only last Sunday night, to bless all nations, as all nations believed on the descendant of Abram, Jesus Christ. So that here as Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, hear the mighty works of God in their own tongues. God was vindicating Jesus by the Spirit through his witnesses. And friends, today we are his witnesses. That even though the 120 on the day of Pentecost were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that happens today when we are converted to Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit descended from heaven, the Holy Spirit descended to stay. Here to stay. One baptism, many refillings. And he's the one that we need to declare the mighty wonders of God with power from on high. He's the helper. He's the one who comes alongside. He's the one who equips and empowers and anoints us to be Jesus' witnesses to all men and to all nations of the world. Now, if I were preaching this in some circles... And if I were preaching this in some churches, I would be placing a stick of dynamite underneath the feet of Charles Finney. And I would be saying, I would be blowing up his teaching that if we want a revival, we can have a revival anytime we want by simply deploying the right marketing strategies, manipulating people's emotions in the right way, deploying the right oratorical techniques. And I'd be saying, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. But friends, I don't think that the mindset of Charles Finney is all that prominent here in this church. I I would be very surprised if one of you came up to me after a prayer meeting and said, Hugh, the prayer meeting is great and everything, but what we really need is a smoke machine. I believe the problem that we are prone to is believing that if our theological I's are dotted and our exegetical T's are crossed, all is well. All is well. Now, listen, we are going to be seeing the need for sound, solid, substantial theology 
under the next heading in this very message. But friends, if the early church needed to be clothed with power from on high, then who do we think we are to rest and to be at ease in Zion simply because we have read a systematic theology and we can recite the five points of Calvinism? Now, if you're asking, Hugh, how can I be refilled then with the Holy Spirit? I want to be useful. I I want to be powerful. I want my witness to have real impact in the world. How can I experience one of those many refillings of the Holy Spirit in my life? Well, friends, we are going to be seeing many answers to that question as we work our way through the book of Acts. But in his book, Reaching the Unreached, an exposition of Acts chapter 1 and 2, Peyton Jones talks about the holy combustion triangle. And he says there must be separation, there must be consecration, and finally, therefore, combustion. If we are to be those filled and on fire with the Holy Spirit. Separation, he says, separated, that is, from all that is unclean, from all that is of the world, from all that numbs our hearts, And for all that is in opposition to God. Hudson Taylor said, an easygoing, non-self-denying life will never be one of power. Can I say that again? An easygoing, non-self-denying life will never be one of power. And Peyton Jones wrote this himself. He said, holiness is not an, an optional extra if you want to see people around you get saved. Because, he writes, this generation is addicted to everything. You can't afford to be addicted to anything. People today are tangled up in addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling, rage, debt, video games, social media, and pornography like a cat tangled up in Christmas lights. How will we minister to addicts if we are still addicted? Lives are on the line, and if we're going to rescue them from the undertow of sin, we need to be in shape to swim against the current. Now, for us to know continual fillings of the Holy Spirit, there also has to be, so there has to be separation, and there also has to be consecration. So that is not only separated from, but also separated to Separated to being 100% sold out for Jesus in the world, for his cause, for his mission, for his glory in the world. That we don't just go to church and then go home and forget everything we did here ever happened. But we carry it into our lives. And we sing with the hymn writer, take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Separation, consecration, combustion. A.W. Tozer said, we do not need to worry about getting more of the Holy Spirit, but see to it that he gets more of us. And we can have all of him if he gets all of us. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was once asked by the Queen, how is it that you have so much success among those who are altogether ruined by alcohol? 
And William Booth said, I suppose, your majesty, that it is because he has all of me. He has all of me. Friends, is there one side? Is there two sides? Are there three sides of the holy combustion triangle that is missing in your life today? One baptism, many refillings. Second, I want us to see the apostles' proclamation. That is, the the Holy Spirit descended on the 120. And as Peter hears the, the mockery of the crowd, these men are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're just hammered. They're just wasted on new wine. Peter takes the opportunity to explain to them that everything that they are seeing And everything that they are hearing was proof positive that Jesus Christ was who he said he was and fulfilled all that God gave him to do. That God had vindicated Jesus by the Spirit. So says Joel chapter 2. So says Psalm 16. And so says Psalm 110. From Joel 2, Peter says, look, this is the day that we were all promised. The day we've all been waiting for. When God would pour out his Spirit on all. All men and all women, regardless of class, regardless of status, regardless of gender, regardless of where they're at on the socioeconomic ladder. Because God will consummate all of history now that this third milestone of redemption has been fulfilled. And then from Psalm 16, he makes the point that Jesus Christ, having been raised from the dead, himself poured out the Spirit. Look at verse 33 of Acts 2. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then from Psalm 110, Peter makes the point that Jesus is now in the process of putting all of his enemies Underneath his feet, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And friends, can I say this is the very means by which God still vindicates Jesus today through spirit-anointed preaching. Acts chapter 2 is what happens when sound theology meets the fire of the Holy Spirit. The spotlight is thrown on Christ and all of a sudden eyes that were blind to Jesus now see him in vivid detail and hearts that at one time resisted him and suppressed his truth now fling wide the gates open to him. And say, come in, Lord Jesus, cast out my sin and enter in. And they love him. Friends, with Jesus Christ at the center of a person's life and ministry, there is masses of kindling for the spirit to set on fire. Masses of the stuff. When Jesus Christ is permeating and marinating the scriptures in our minds, whether you have a pulpit on Sunday or a coffee table at Starbucks, there is so much for the Spirit to work with. If Jesus Christ is not the center of our minds, because we don't believe he's the center of the Spirit, there is very little for the Holy Spirit to anoint. 
but with Christ at the center of it all in our hearts and minds and our personal witness and ministry, the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden inflaming the kindling that is in our hearts. I remember my sister coming home from school one day and she was laughing and she was telling me all about the fact that one of the lads in the home education class had tried to make flapjacks one uh, Friday afternoon and he realized about five minutes into the bake time that he'd forgotten to put the maple syrup into the mix and so he opened the door and he cut a slit down the sides of all of the flatjacks and tried to shove the maple uh, the, the golden syrup in there and then flattened them down again and then closed the door hoping for the best well friends that was never going to work was it because it has to keep all of it together and be worked through the whole And if the knowledge of Christ doesn't unite and bind all that we know in the scriptures, there'll be nothing but a mess and a disaster of a ministry and a product. If Jesus Christ isn't the center of gravity, then we will be floating off into space in our personal lives and witnesses. It's very commonplace, isn't it, for preachers to sort of laugh and make digs and joke about the apostles because they say all kinds of inappropriate things at inappropriate moments in the Gospels. But imagine for a moment if we were at a Liverpool match and by some quirk of providence, we had the ear of the masses and they were listening to us. Do you think that you and I would be able to pull a sermon out of the bag like Peter's here? In Acts chapter 2, just on a whim. Well, friends, the reason Peter could do this was because Jesus Christ had opened his mind to understand the scriptures with him at the center of them all. Listen to these words at the end of Luke's gospel. Then he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Well, friends, here is Peter, clothed with power from on high, preaching Jesus from the prophets and from the Psalms. And if God is to vindicate Jesus through our ministries, whether a a preaching ministry or whether one-to-one, We must have our minds permeated with the scriptures and Jesus Christ at the center of them. Well, thirdly, I want us to see the needed response. Look with me now at verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How are we to respond to the finished work of Jesus? Well, with repentance and baptism. Repentance meaning to change your mind, which in turn leads to a change of life. Uh, Peter is in effect saying here to the masses, you thought that Jesus Christ was nothing more than a carpenter. You thought that Jesus was nothing more than a magician. You thought that Jesus was nothing more than a good teacher who could tell good stories and was great when it came to ethics. But God has vindicated Jesus by his spirit. So change your mind as to who you believe Jesus was and bow to him as Lord. And we're to respond by being baptized. Some worry that there's no mention here of faith. But who are those who repent and are baptized? We'll drop you right all the way down to verse 44. Luke writes, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And the call to be baptized is the call to identify with Jesus publicly. Friend, can I say this to all of us today? Discipleship is non-existent if discipleship is only behind closed doors. There is no such thing as following Jesus here, but not following Jesus over here. A public identification with Christ is what Christ demands of all men. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what is promised to those who do become disciples? Forgiveness of sin and the filling of the Holy Spirit. A forgiveness and a filling. Friend, on the basis of Acts chapter 2, do allow me to say this. There are none too guilty for Jesus to save. Why do I say that? Because Peter's clothesline, knockout punch line in this sermon was, this Jesus whom you crucified. Speaking to those with hands dripping with the blood of the Messiah. And the next moment, they are forgiven and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. None is too unclean. None is too helpless. None is too guilty for Jesus Christ to save. And none is too guilty for Jesus Christ to fill. Verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, I've met with so many people who have told me over the years, Hugh, I would love to become a Christian, but I would never be able to live the Christian life because I will not have what it takes to truly change. My sins run far too deep and my habits die all too hard. I will not be able to change, but listen to what God promises 
to all who receive the Spirit, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The God who forgives is the God who fills, is the God who empowers us to change. Friends, since God has vindicated Jesus by his spirit, And since he has borne witness to him in the scriptures, and since he holds out to the promise of forgiveness and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the needed response from you today is to repent and to be baptized. And could it be, my friend, that God is calling you to reach the most pivotal milestone of your life, that of rebirth, before the final milestone is reached of either death or the consummation of history. Can I say to us all, do not get to the last milestone without having reached this milestone of repentance, faith, and baptism in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not reject so great a Savior. Believe on him today. Can we sing together, there is a Redeemer?